Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages again, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of the service. Um, one last thing I want to talk about. We're doing pretty good. It's 11.15. I don't see myself going past a quarter of and ha- us having 15 minutes to respond, but I just want to... I want to talk about something that's happening pastorally to you. Um, How many of you have heard of the revival at Asbury? Raise your hand real quick if you have. Okay, there's enough of you. For those of you that don't know, there is a uh, Methodist university, and right now um, they're going on close to a week where it's, what's that? 12 days, 12 days where there are a group of students who uh, basically started worshiping a student shared on confession, which Pastor Dylan, you shared on that just recently. Confession and repentance, and uh, you know, this, the college was filled with students who were Christians, but then there were, it was also filled with a lot of students that weren't. And God just began to move, and literally for 12 days, uh, they were going nonstop. Now, here's why I'm gonna speak to it for a couple of reasons, because Number one, we're not there, but we're hearing about it, and there are a lot of voices. So I, I can't, I'm not speaking to campuses and to other churches. I'm speaking to you because you are the people that God's put under our care, and so I want you to have a good perspective. First of all, know this. Whenever it comes to revival, um, if, if it's not happening where you are, it's not really relevant for us to weigh in on it and judge it, Right? Like, I remember if you look in the Gospels where Peter's like, what about John? Are you going to keep him? What are you going to do with him? And Jesus said to Peter, what does it matter if I keep him alive until I come back? You focus on what you need to do and feed my sheep. So I think in one sense, it's important for us to understand that the only thing we need to worry about is what's going on in our life, in our circle. Secondly, um, I know the president of the seminary personally. He was my professor at Gordon-Conwell. He's a, a dear friend, and he's a, the seminary is across the street from there. And also, uh, one of the professors at North Point, David Ritchie, his daughter, Rebecca, who I adore, and she's a wonderful, wonderful friend. I've known her since she was this tall. She and her friend, Helen, are attending the school, and they're right in the middle of it. And uh, I asked her, how's it going? And she said, I hate it. And I go, why? And she, she said, I'm just joking. I love it. But she said, I work at Starbucks. And now all of a sudden, the town went from the size of a country village to New York City because everybody's chasing revival. They literally had to um, make space for the students because people were coming and trying to jump in. And <laughs> if you do, a, re- if you do a, a search on this, you'll have all kinds of ridiculous perspectives. But let me just speak to the word revival. There, there was a season in the church where there were people who were called revivalists, or usually evangelists, and I believe in the office of evangelist. I believe there's an evangelist in our church, and his name's Junior. How many of you have come to this church because Junior led you to Jesus, and he brought you here? I mean, so God gives apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists for the body of Christ, but here's what the beauty of what's going on there. As soon as I heard about it, I hopped online and I emailed the president of the seminary, and I said, Dr. Tennant, I, I don't know if you remember me, I was your student at Gordon-Conwell, but just, just not surprised. When I was at Zion Bible College at that time, now North Point, there were a group of us that just basically said, I want Jesus more than I want free time. 
And then we said, I want Jesus more than I want food. And in fact, PK and Oriana were there at this time. We had a, a, a move of God that just broke out and just disrupted the classes. And I don't know if you guys were in Easton Hall when, when that happened. We, there were a group of us there until two in the morning. And all we were doing, it was a group of students that were praying and seeking the face of God and repenting and asking God to, to just cleanse our lives and to fill our lives. And, and it was like the more we repented, the cleaner we felt, the closer we felt to Jesus. And it was, it was so beautiful. We had a guy at two in the morning on a bicycle ride his bike and all of a sudden saw the light on in the building, came into a room filled with a few hundred students that were singing and praising and praying and weeping. And he said, I, went, I was about to go kill myself, but I don't know why I just came into this place because something told me I could find God here. And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of people gathered around him and it, I, I've never seen anything like it in my life but I've heard a lot about revival but what real revival looks like is when we the body of Christ begin to have an overwhelming sense of the need to purify our lives before holy God and we the body of Christ begin to confess our sins and begin to experience the, the, the love of God and the joy of God, and there's a freedom that comes with it. And, any, and, and here's the beauty of it. With this movement that's happening, I said to him, I said, I bet you there were a group of about five students who said they wanted Jesus more than they wanted free time and food. And he, 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 had, he, he didn't reply back to me, but I spoke with the girl who's on campus there and said there were actually a group of three students who were freshmen three years ago, and they'd been praying every day that God would move on the campus so that those that didn't know Christ would come to know him. Isn't that amazing? That's revival. Listen, there are a lot of really great exegetes, and there are a lot of great preachers, but they can't live your Jesus life for you. They can fill your mind with great knowledge and wisdom, but knowledge and wisdom has a limit. There comes a point where your soul and your life needs to connect with the holiness of God, which like Isaiah, reveals the unholiness of you. And then like Isaiah, turns and says, God, cleanse me, forgive me. And then with that forgiveness and that cleansing comes a freedom and that is the foundation of revival. And sometimes people get healed out of that movement. Sometimes, but when I'm looking at this, my prayer for this movement is that churches and universities, if ever there was a need for our, our universities to experience repentance and a return to Jesus Christ, it's now. Because it is our universities who have indoctrinated uh, a nation and a generation of how to live without God or believe that he exists. And so my prayer for you is this, that you would not try to evaluate something that has nothing to do with you, but you'd celebrate what's happening there. I literally turned to Pastor Dylan and I said, Pastor Dylan, I need to put you on a plane and I'm gonna send you down there right away because I know what that move that's going on that campus looks like. I understand it, I know what that looks like. And here's the beauty of it, it's not being run by a person, a revivalists, or professors, it's being run by, lead, by the students, and the leaders are just guiding them along to do and to, to, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and you're right, God never moves 
the same twice, you know? And manna has to be fresh. But my challenge to you is this as your pastor. How much do you want Jesus? Because you can have as much or as little of him as you want. You could use him as an an hors d'oeuvre to curb your guilt and shame for the things that you do that you know are not things that a disciple of Christ should do. You could binge and purge with Jesus and have a full feast and then just go back and feast on the things of carnality. Or you could just begin to say, God, I, I am not holy and you are. And I just, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness that we have honest to God talks with God. And Lord, I need your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness and that you experience that grace and you don't squander it, but you leverage it to continue saying, God, probe deeper, go further, remove more out of my life, and you'll find yourself wanting Jesus more than you'll want free time and food. And you'll see God move in your home, in your life, in your church, in your family, and in this community. That's revival. That's revival. Does that make sense? Don't worry about what other people have to say. It's so ridiculous how people are trying to make a name for themselves, criticizing and you know, throwing rocks at that move. It's, it's so foolish. But it just happened that I was directly connected with this, that I could ask somebody what's going on. And I found out. It was exactly what I thought, a few students. And it's student-led. The Bible College up the road, North Point Bible College, formerly Zion Bible College, used to move in that perpetually, continually. And my prayer is that God would continue, that the God of Elijah would still be alive, that God would do that. But more so, my prayer is that God would move in your life that way. I know this is kind of an off-rhythm morning, but can I encourage you to stand to your feet one last time? And I want you to offer your thought to God real quick. If you were to do an audit of your life, would you give yourself an A plus in holiness? And if not, I'm not asking you to feel ashamed. I'm not asking for you to be humiliated. I'm not asking, but what I am asking you to do is is that you would bring that before God right now and pray this prayer with me. Father, David said it himself. I was born in sin. David said, I am made from but dirt. You know what I'm made of. Lord, true revival is when man embraces true holiness and allows your grace to forgive it. And that's what we're asking right now, that she would begin to cleansing in our life and in our church, that the things that we were okay to live with, we wouldn't be okay with them anymore. The things that we were at peace with, we wouldn't be at peace with them anymore. That she would put a holy discontent in our life to, to say, may, Lord, not, not to feel the shame and the guilt, but to turn that conviction into repentance. We confess our sins before you this morning. We say to you, Lord, forgive us. Lord, for not being who we should be and who we could be, that we've been a critic and, and not a, a full participant of the holiness of God. Lord, we ask that you would wash us afresh and anew today. And we ask, oh God, that you would begin a momentum in our life of not being afraid of you when we come short, but moving closer to you so that we continue that process until eventually we're further away from sin and closer to your presence and that eventually 
We want you more than free time and food. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Siéntete, por favor. <laughs> we've, been, uh, we've been going through the attributes of God. I, you know me, I love going through books of the Bible and kind of staying course. I, I, I still have the book of Kings in my heart. I think there's so much to learn from it. But we really, or I should say, I really felt impressed to speak about God, the theology of God. And so last week we talked about God being loved. Today, I want to talk to you about God as almighty. There's a verse in Isaiah 40, verse 25, that reads like this. It says, to whom then can you compare me? It's not, it's not in a slide, but let me read this to you. To whom then can you compare me that I would be his equal? Now, I could ask right now for um, my son Andrew to come up here, and we could compare, and I won't do that, teacher, but we could compare each other. I have hair, he has hair. His is longer, mine's balding. Um, I'm good looking, he's better looking, but we're, 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 we're there. Um, he's strong, I'm stronger. Um, I have a black belt, by the way. <laughs> You could even get a man and a woman and compare them. They have eyes, they have arms, they have... But God asks this question, he says, who can, who can you compare me to? Who can you compare God to, the God of the universe, almighty God, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, all-right, thank you for my glasses. Who can, you com- who can you compare God to? Now, it's almost a feeble attempt to try and capture it, but if you look at this first picture here, this is the Sistine Chapel. I don't know if any of you have ever, uh, Adam, I'm gonna, I don't know if the slide dude's there. There you are, slide dude, thank you. We're trying to get my phone fixed. I lost all my contacts, so if you text me, put your name in there, because I'll have no idea who you are, but we lost the ability for me to click it. Look at this, this is Sistine Chapel. I've never been there, <laughs> I hope to someday, but who knows, but this is, This is where Leonardo da Vinci painted, and he actually didn't lose his sight, but he he was going crazy, laying on his back, painting the ceiling. And you can take a look right here at the ceiling up close, and it's literally filled with a whole, um, you can click that deep, yeah. It's filled with a whole panel of creation and every story you could think of in the Bible. And the one that's usually the focus more than any other one is this one right here, which is the creation of man. And if you look at it, you know, I mean, does God look like that? Well, we're creating it as an image, but Leonardo's just trying the best he can to, to show the event of creation. And if you look at it, God is like stretching, he's reaching, and the angels are carrying, and he, he's, he's putting this effort into it. And isn't it so typical of man when it comes to connecting with God? He's just kind of like, hey. Right, do you notice that? I mean, it's supposed to be a picture of his, him being inanimate, but he's just like, hey. I think that this is really a testament of sometimes the effort that we put in God's direction versus the effort that God's trying to put in our direction. But this is, this is that moment, this creation, this, this, this is, there's very few pictures that capture this, and I mean, how can you capture it? I mean, is this really what it looked like? I mean, it, it doesn't even begin to describe it, because when I begin to read 
the Bible and read about who God is and what God is and what he's about and how he begins to describe himself versus how I begin to describe himself. He has to pause and through Isaiah say, who can you compare me to that would even be my equal? You can get two people up here and compare them. You can get a man and a woman and compare them. You could get an adult and child and compare them. But who do you compare God to? You can't even begin. There are no words in the human language that begin to describe who God is. And when we talk about God, really in theology, they have a fancy word for this, and it's called his attributes. And then they have two types of attributes. Really, there, there, there are things that we can possess, his communicable attributes, like you see that in science with like a communicable disease, a disease you can pass, but uh, it's not a, God's attributes are not a disease, right? But, but God is, a, there are things like, you know what it's like for God to feel love for his children, for those of you that are married. You were there when your child was born. There was, there was no other relationship in the world that you had to warm up, every other one you had to warm up to. This was an instant bond. You loved that child. You were willing to die for that child. And no matter how I describe it, you have to experience it to really get it. And, and, and many of you will experience that, but, but it's just, it's unbelievable. You know what it's like for your heart to break for your children. Thank you. Front row. I got it. Ooh. But we know what it's like for our heart to break for our children, to know what we want for them, to want to be able to give the very best to them and, and, and to help them. And we, we know what it's like to want to do all that we can to do that. But then there are attributes which are what's called incommunicable. There's no, no matter how much you want it, you can't get it because who can you compare God to? We're made in his likeness. We're made in his image, but there are some things about God that make him God and show that we're not. For instance, God is all-knowing. The Bible says that before a single word reaches my tongue, he knows it fully. God says that he has known all the days for my life, and before one of them came to be, he's written them. There's a theology out there called open theism. I won't get into this theological debate right now, but it's absolutely just basically people who can't seem to be at peace, that God is sovereign, that God allows things to happen, so they just kind of say, well, that's just God doesn't know everything, which is not even in keeping with Scripture, but God knows all things. God is all-present. In fact, David said, if I go down to the depths of the hell, you are there. If I go to the highest of heavens, you are there right now here in this room. Whether we can feel it or not, the presence of God is here. The presence of God is in Appleton Street for people that we're believing God for that don't even know who he is, and he's there intervening in their behalf, trying to set up a divine draw. There are people in Tewksbury in their homes where their lives are falling apart inside of really nice, expensive homes with great salaries, and Jesus is trying to draw them back to him. I mean, God's everywhere. And one of the attributes that strikes me harder than any of them is God is all-powerful or almighty. Now, in theology, they call this the omnipotence of God. It's just Latin words. It's just big, fancy Latin words that just basically means that God can do whatever he wills to do, period. There is nothing that God can't do. And now, of course, in 
In philosophy, we can get into circular reasoning and say, can God create a rock that he can't lift? Who cares? Why are we even thinking along those lines? Those are just circular reasoning comments to try and make it sound like God is inept or not able to do it. But there is a question that rises in my heart, and maybe it's risen in yours. If God is all loving and he's all powerful and he's all good, why is there so much bad and why is there so much wrong that happens in my life and in the lives of everybody else? that if God is able to do it, if, why does he allow it to happen? Because if he's all-powerful, then why doesn't he intervene in it? And there are three lives in the Bible that God helps us to understand about his omnipotence. And really the number one problem with why God doesn't do everything he says he's going to do, and it's called free will. God has set a limit on himself and that although he can do anything and he could do anything, the one thing that he will not do is that he will not violate the free will of man. I can totally whip out my phone and record some really nice things about myself that say, I'm great, I'm wonderful, you're a positive person. You can, today is your best day. I don't know, what, to, what does Tony Robbins say? I could just totally play Tony Robbins all the time. Like, today, you're, you're, you know, um, I know he's not my guru, but like, I could totally record that stuff, but it's stuff that I've put in my phone to play back to me. It doesn't love me of its own free will. It's just telling me what I told it to say. Now, I know sometimes with our children, we would love to be able to say, this is what you're going to say. I love you. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for my food, you know. But, but it means so much more when my son, who, in a, both of my sons, on a regular basis, are like, Dad, I love you, man. You're, I appreciate you. Like, that means something to me because they weren't forced to do it. If God's all-powerful, why doesn't he do everything and put an end to evil and put an end to sin? Because really, God is not the author of sin and he's not the author of evil. It's our own human nature that brought the ugliness of all of those things into the world. And he will not violate the will of man because he hasn't created puppets, he's created people. Now, he will bring into judgment everything that's done in secret, every idle word, that kind of terrifies me. I'm in big trouble. If you heard, how many of you would say, if I knew what you were thinking at all times, you were like, if we could just like, let's just hit play on that right now. Boom. It would just be mortifying to be able to think, but yet God knows all that. What's amazing about God is that he knows all this about us and yet he still loves us. But the word omni, uh, omnipotent is not found in the Bible, but the word almighty is. And it's a name for God called El Shaddai. Now, there's lots of technical stuff I put on there. I almost want you to cross it off because it's just easier to just understand El Shaddai is like God the Almighty, the one who can do whatever he chooses. And what's interesting about this name is, is that it's used in the, New, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, when God's showing that he has all power over all heaven, earth, and humanity, and even hell itself. 
He's got authority. He is, when you say almighty, you're talking about somebody who has not only all of the authority, but all of the ability to do whatever he wants, however he wants, when he wants. But the thing about God is, is that he never sets down his justice for his love. He never sets down his love for his justice. He never sets down his power for his wisdom. He never sets down his wisdom for his power. They're all interlocked in the essence. It's more like ingredients in a cake than little pieces of who God is. It's that he is all powerful, but because he is all wise and because he is all loving, he doesn't always exercise that power because it's actually more powerful for him to wait on you and I to come to our hearts and our heads and our senses to serve him willingly than being forced to do so. We're trusting God now because I'm kind of off-road on this, but I want to read... I want to read the first account. Listen to this. I'm going to have you turn to Genesis chapter 17. Abraham, Abraham gives us a great picture of God as almighty because this word is humanized now. I could sit here and I could give you a lecture on God creating the heavens. What's really funny to me is, is that how our um, astrophysicists and our scientists can tell us everything about the universe, and yet there isn't a single human being who's made it to Mars yet. And literally 200 years ago, we believed that the universe revolved around the Earth. And then we found out that the Earth revolved around the Sun. We were told that Pluto was a planet. We got the Hubble telescope, and we thought we had it figured out. Now we've got another telescope, and they're telling us more. And believe me, we could go another thousand years, and I'm telling you, we would begin to just scratch the surface of what we don't know. So God being, when you think of the universe, it's like God creates this eternal expanse and just puts you and I in the middle of it. This all-powerful God creates the universe, whether it was a big bang or a moment, there's nothing that says that you have to believe that it was instantaneous or it was gradual. There's different views on that. There are plenty of people I know who think in both directions and love Jesus with all their heart. The question is, do you believe that God is the creator of the universe? And however that happened, he creates it and he creates something that man is able to always look up at. And David was smart enough to say it like this. He says, he says oh Lord, when I look at the heavens, what is man that you should think of him? Or the son of man that you should visit him? Have you ever been visited by God? Do you, do you, did you ever stop to think that the God of the universe, when you're here at the altar and your life is falling apart or you're, you're, you're experiencing joy or a breakthrough or in your chair or in your home or wherever you are, that actually the God that is all the way at the other side of the universe reaches into your small, tiny life and just says, I love you. That's power. But Abraham, what's interesting is, is this almighty name is used mostly about God making a promise to us and then following through with it. Listen to this verse. Genesis chapter 17 Verses 1 through 5, the first one's up there, but I'm going to just read past it. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. There's the holiness. 
that I might make my covenant between you, me and you, and that uh, I may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now, let's just stop at the 99 years of age. How many of you know somebody who's 99? Jimmy Carter's 98, right? And they just announced that he's in hospice. What's funny is there's a moment that happens where God visits Sarah and Moses, or I'm sorry, and Abraham. Look at this verse right here, Genesis 18, 13 and 14. God shows up, and I gotta read it off of here, I'm sorry. When it says, the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old, is anything too hard for the Lord? Here's what's happening. God speaks to Abraham and he says, I am going to make a people out of you. This is the people that we know of as Israel, who will be in the, the, the promised land, in the land of slavery. They're in the land of Israel to this day. They're a living miracle and testament to this truth. God says, I am going to, to make something great out of your life and I'm going to make a great people. The problem was is that they were already set for the nursing home. They were beyond the age of, listen, any of you who've ever struggled with fertility and having children understand the pain and the difficulty of that. Any of you who have had children that have friends who have struggled with that have felt their pain and their empathy and then God shows up like some kind of sick joke and says to Abraham, listen, I am going to have you have a child and you are going to be the father of many nations and he's like, are you kidding me? And every time you read about Abraham, what's amazing is, is that the word believe and faith is always connected to Abraham. And it says this, not that he believed the promise, not that he believed that he was going to have a child, not that he believed that his wife could have a child, it's not that he believed that, it's that he believed God. Most of the miracles in your and my life, are the reason we call them miracles is because we can't make them happen. We can't do it. It's too difficult. It's too big. It's too hard. It may even, like Sarah, make you laugh. But God turns around and he asks the question. He says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? I don't know what your miracle is. Maybe it's reconciliation with your child. Maybe it's reconciliation with your past. Maybe it's restitution with your presence. Maybe it's hope and reaching for a different future. But I want you to hear this. God is El Shaddai. He is almighty. And he is the God that takes all things that are old and he can make them new. And he would speak into your life and your heart today and say, nothing is impossible for me. I'm God Almighty. Does it mean more when I say it like that because I'm more conversation? God is God Almighty. I mean, yeah, it does get that same. Because when the choir's gone, the music's over, you're sitting alone in your life, let's face it, most of us reside ourselves to say it can't happen. And so what does God do? He shows up and he says, I can do it. And Abraham is unique in that he held on to God. Not that he believed the promise, but he believed God. Listen, if you can't believe the miracle that you need in your life, then stop trying to hold on to 
lining up that reality that seems impossible to who you are and start leaning that reality into who God is because he is El Shaddai. He's God Almighty, and he's your God, and he's for you, he's not against you. Another interesting, and, and in fact, Jeremiah says the same thing. Look at this verse. I'm going to read it right off of here, too. He says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? You wouldn't have voted for me. We wouldn't have picked Junior out of a crowd. Pastor Dylan was a Christian's worst nightmare because he had all of that intelligence leveraged against you. Do you imagine like the good, the amazing things he speaks from here? Imagine that totally wielded in the opposite direction. You'd be like, leave me alone, stay away from me. I can't think my head's gonna explode. Who'd have ever thought that God would have taken that? Who'd ever thought that God would have taken us? But he just doesn't take us and save us. He wants to do miracles through our lives. He wants to bring about promises. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that most of us probably have run out of dreams. I heard somebody say once, when, when your dream, when your, when your memories exceed your dreams, you've lost the wonder of Jesus. Are your memories of the past exceeding your dreams and hopes for the present and the future? It's time that we flip this and begin to remember that God can do anything. He's El Shaddai. And he can, he can pick even some of the most unlikely people, like Jacob. Turn with me, if you would. If you're online, if you're here, I'm not going to show it. I'm just going to read the reference. It's, it's found in chapter 28 of Genesis, chapter 1 through 4. Let me lay the stage for you. Here's Jacob. What does Jacob mean? Uh, technically, it's a metaphor, a grabber, because when his brother, his twin brother, was born first, he reached out, grabbed his brother by the heel, and yanked him back in. They had to tie, when he was, his first brother was born, because the firstborn is a right, they tied a string around Esau's ankle. But my son, when he held my hand, it was just kind of like this, and I have a picture of it. It's, it's a beautiful picture of him when he's firstborn. I think of Jacob. Jacob grabs his brother and yanks him back in. Imagine if you were that mom, right? Like, I just got you out of here. Get out, you know? I got to push again? <laughs> There's a whole bunch of you moms that just really recently experienced that. And it, it, this is why he gets the name grabber. But what's funny is, is he lives up to the name because he's constantly grabbing. And grabbing expands to a metaphor of like, it's like, I'm going to get mine. And this is the problem that we have in life because there are some of us, our nature is that if God's not going to do it, I'm going to make sure that I get the job done. I'm going to grab. I'm going to move. I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to tip the scale. I'm going to put my finger on uh, and weigh it down. I'm going to make sure that I get mine. And this is the hallmark of Jacob. Jacob's legacy, what's amazing about him is that when he wrestles with God finally, God changes his name and he says, no longer shall you be called Jacob, which he was, but you'll be called Israel, a prince with God. You see, he's constant. He, he finds out that his brother is about to get the blessing. And so what does Jacob do? He, he knows his brother is hairy, so he puts some, his mom says, let me help you out. He puts some animal skins on, and his brother, it says, was a man of the field, so he, and he cooked up some animal stew, and he walks in, and his father says, who is it? And he says, it's Esau. And he goes, well, he says, the, voice, the, the smell smells like Esau, but the voice sounds like Jacob. And he said, 
come here. And then finally he prays a blessing over his brother. He's trying to steal the blessing, the birthright, the right to be the next patriarch. And, and Jacob, uh, Jacob gets right under Isaac's hand and he begins to pray a blessing. And as soon as his brother finds out, he says, I'm going to kill him. Many of you have these in your life. They're called older brothers. And so he says, I'm going to kill him. And so what does Jacob do? He runs for his life. And the rest of his life, this is amazing. This is our superhero patriarch, our great example. What does he do? He's constantly manipulating, lying, deceiving, twisting, trying to get his. And he's constantly doing it instead of allowing God to do what he wanted to do to, for God to bring the blessing. And right here in chapter 28, verses 1 through 4, let me read it, read it to you here. It goes like this. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and, direct, and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's uh, father, and take as your wife from there, one of those daughters of Laban, your mother's brother, God Almighty bless you. El Shaddai bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become, a, that you may become many people. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring. When I was growing up as a child, I didn't have a reference point of this kind of church. I grew up in the Catholic Church. I grew, down the ro I grew up down the road from one of the biggest monasteries in America. It, they moved it eventually to Boston College. But I grew up that whole time running around. I was such a mischievous kid, all right? Let me give you an idea how mischievous I was. I had this thing about fire. Any other middle school boys here have that same thing? Yeah, and girls, yeah? All right. So I would do, I would light things on fire and then just stomp them out. And so one time my mom went to see a counselor, probably because I was torturing her life, and <laughs> I lit a patch of grass on fire and it spread. And I stomped it and it spread. And I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating where a section about twice the size of this room was on fire in moments. The wind blew. It was headed towards houses. I didn't know what to do. So I said, I have an idea. I ran to the counselor's office. I said, hey, there were some kids outside. They were smoking. I said, yo, don't smoke. And they wouldn't listen to me. And I said, yo, you're going to start a fire. And they didn't care. And they laughed at me and they flicked their cigarette. And it's burning. Somebody called the fire department. And the fire department came. And they put out the fire. And they put their arm around me. And they said, young man, thank goodness for you. That was the kind of kid I was. That was the kind of person Jacob was. It's amazing how I can make myself the hero when I'm the villain in a story. Okay? Isn't it amazing how we can do that? We just twist the facts. Or we think that if we just help God out, maybe, maybe this will get things going. But, but Jacob really, for all intents and purposes, other than his father putting his hand on him, he had no right to expect anything from God. But God had a plan. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, there's no way God would do anything for me. Why would God bless me? I mean, God blesses people who earn it, right? No, he doesn't. God is looking for anyone that desires the blessing. Here's the amazing thing of the difference between Jacob and Esau. Esau didn't care about the blessing. 
In fact, he came in one day and he was hungry and he said, I, I, I'm starving. And Jacob said to him, give me your birthright. And he said, fine, it's yours. And his brother didn't intend on giving it to him, but God heard that he had contempt for it. This verse that we just read where God said, go up to your family, don't marry the Canaanites. After Jacob got that blessing, thank you very much. Uh, after Jacob got that, that blessing, his brother turned for spite's sake and married a Canaanite woman. See, it doesn't matter what you are or what you've become. It's if you have a turning moment in your life that you say, I know I'm not the right person, but I want God to make me the right person. I know that I don't act like I value God, but I want to begin to value God. You might be here today, and you might have come here and just walked into church and you're sitting there, in fact, I know, you, Terrence, you wouldn't mind this, but I remember just a couple of weeks ago where you're sitting there and you were going, Pastor Paul, I don't, I don't feel like I should be here. I don't belong here. I'm a sinner. And I said to him, I said, I said, you're in the right place. We all are. We all are. There isn't anybody in here more righteous than you. And in fact, the Bible says that, that, that when we, when we, the whole idea of repentance is that we recognize like we need God to work on us. It was, that was a beautiful moment for me, for you, because, because it shows me that you understand what you're not. You're, you're not almighty, you're not all powerful, you're not all, but you know what? That where we lack the difference, that's what El Shaddai does. He comes in and he says, I will be for you what you need in your life if you will give me that first place in your heart. Will you allow God? And that's what Jacob, Jacob's story is all about. He goes through it, the most unlikely candidate. And here's where I want to close, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, that name El Shaddai is, is used mostly with this whole promise of Abraham, but there's one point where God is speaking to, to Moses, and God is about to do a next-level thing. He's about to deliver his people. He's about to bring them into promise. And he says, it says, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now here's, here's what's amazing of this. When I say the Lord, it's literally, it's a noun, it's like a noun, but it, it's literally I am. Complete this with me. To be or not to be? That's the verb of existence. It exists in every single language, pretty much. At least all the ones that I've looked at. And when God says, I am that I am, he's basically saying, like, he's taken, I'm all powerful, and he's taken it to the next level, and he said, I can be, I am, whatever. I, it's almost like God saying, I can do whatever I will to do. I can make happen whatever. In fact, in the Hebrew language, in the, in the translations in English, everywhere you see in capital L-O-R-D, it's this, this name, Yahweh. 
And every name of God that you have ever heard somebody preach or teach on is connected to this. In other words, Yahweh, or I am that I am, righteousness. Jeho what we say Jehovah, but there's no J in the Hebrew language. This is, if you grew up in the Jehovah Witness uh, movement, just so you know, there's no J in, in there. It's, it's a Yah, and there's, I'm not going to get into a Hebrew lesson right here, but catch this. Righteousness, you might be here today and you might say, I totally feel ashamed for who I am. I'm totally not right with God. I know that he wants me to be holy, but I'm just not holy. How do I get holy? Are you going to do that in your own strength? You're not almighty, but you know what God says? I'll say Jehovah for the sake of it since we heard it. Jehovah Tzidniku. I am righteousness. And God brings righteousness into your life. Maybe you're here, and like my friend John, we were praying, when we were praying for each other, we were praying for his brother Mark, who has stage three cancer, and we were praying, Lord, be Jehovah Rapha. I am healing. And I've seen it. I've seen it. Where God is, I don't understand why some people are healed and some people aren't, but I've, I've seen it happen where I was thinking, my friend Will Whiting's here from North Providence Church. I'll never forget, we, I was at, at the front and I was praying for someone. I just, this husband and wife came up and I just put my hand on her neck. I don't know why. I just felt like I was supposed to put my hand on her neck. And I just said, Lord, I don't know what she's here for, but I pray for healing. And they started weeping. And they couldn't even compose themselves that, to explain what was going on. But they came back a week later and they said, you're never going to believe this, but... I was diagnosed with cancer. I don't know if it was lymphoma or something, but they just went back for one more test and it's completely, completely gone. That wasn't me. That was me leaning into the reality of the impossible and just hoping, like, God, I can't do this, but if you come down into this situation, whatever it is, I didn't even know what it was, and God did it. Why, did we, why have we lost the wonder of God, why have we reduced him to songs and great teachings and why have we theology and Bible languages and archaeology, why have, we, why have we lost the wonder of Jesus? He is the Almighty. He can, he can totally restore and make new. He can do it. I don't know what, maybe your financial situation is there. My, my goodness, my wife and I, over and over again in our life, said, Lord, I, I don't know how we're going to be able to do this. I even had one point where I said, i got to leave ministry so I can afford to take care of my family. And God supernaturally provided for our furnace that was broken in the coldest night of that in the history of New England winter. It was absolutely insane. And I'm like, I can't do this. And God said, you don't have the provision but I provide it. Do, do you catch what I'm saying here? When I'm talking about God being almighty, or I'm talking about the names of God, this is the God who said, let there be light, and there was light. This is the God who said, let there be life, and there was life. This is the God that Leonardo da Vinci, so sorry if you love him, but so lamely betrays 
the creation of the universe. I mean, imagine if you could sit in any biblical moment, I think it would be the creation of the universe where God did not look for material to work with like you and I do to build a house. He spoke it into existence. I just feel this is an important sidebar note. There's a movement in church movement and prosperity gospel and faith movement that says if you say it and you believe it hard enough that it'll happen, that's absolute garbage and hogwash. What we're doing when we lean into the great I am, when we lean into El Shaddai, what we're doing is this, we're leaning into our situation with our feebleness and we're looking up to the God of the whole universe and saying, Lord, if you're willing, I know you're able, but if you're willing, could you please do this miracle? for me. In Isaiah, I end where we began, Isaiah, where it's, he says, who can you compare me to? It comes from Isaiah 40, 12. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? This is the hollow of my hand. This is how you would scoop out produce in the ancient markets. I could probably fit a sip in there before I start spilling it. And you know what your God says? Put the Atlantic Ocean Put the Pacific Ocean, put the Indian Ocean, put the, the Mediterranean Ocean and the Caspian Sea. I can handle it. And if God can hold the oceans in his hands, don't you think that he can hold you together in the midst of your challenges? He says this, he says, who has measured the stars with the span of his hands? This is the ancient ruler. That and the cubit was from your elbow to the tip of your finger. That's like a cubit. But he says, who do you know who has measured the stars with the span of his hand that can put his finger on your life and reach that furthest universe that our feeble little telescope? That's your God. Who's measured the dust of the earth in a basket? You and I can go to the beach and scoop in some sand. God says, put Mount Everest in it and I'll just get started. I think that we need to sometimes remember that God is almighty, that he's big, that he's for you, he's not against you, that it doesn't matter whether you're like Abraham and you have this great faith that can hold on, or you're like Jacob and you've been spending most of your life trying to make your, your, your happy ending and your happily ever after happen with your bank account and your career and all of these kind of things. The truth of the matter is, is what God wants to and what God needs to do in your life is so much bigger than you that you need to have a God that's bigger than the problem that you're facing, than the challenge that you're facing. And, and my question for you is this, have you lost the wonder of Jesus? Do your memories exceed your dreams? Do you have something that you're looking forward to say, oh God, if you just, that's, that's what we pray for. We pray for things that, that we're looking forward to. God, that you would just bring a breakthrough in my life, that you would show up, that I would sense your love and it would inspire me to run after you. And so what I'd like to do is, is end this time with the worship team playing. And I'd like to just pray for you. I really kind of quite don't know what to do with this because really it's not what I do with it, it's what you do with it. Are you like Jacob? Are you on the run? And God's calling you back to him. He doesn't have to twist your hip out. You can just turn your heart to him. 
Are you like Abraham and you've been waiting for so long for something so impossible, but something that God whispered in your heart? Could you start believing God again to do those things? Return to your dreams. Are, are you like Moses, that there's a cause in front of you and you just feel so unfit for it? And God's saying, I'm sending you. That's really what this whole thing of church and Christianity is about. We all have a difference to make. We all stand before causes. We all stand before challenges. God wants to be almighty in your life. Stand with me if you will. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I, uh, I wish I could take what's in my heart. I wish I could take what's happened in my life and put it inside of everybody here, but I can't do that. I wish I could make my God their God, but I can't do that. They have to do that. So Lord, for starters here, I pray for everyone that's here that has known you and they just stopped paddling. It's not that they, they stopped believing in you, they just stopped the pursuit. And they're looking up and they're seeing how far they've drifted and they're saying, I don't even know where to begin to get back to God. Lord, I pray right now that you would level that, you would be God Almighty, and that you would step into their life right where they are. And that they're not starting back in the negative, but you can start them in the positive from here forward. I pray you restore relationships because you are the Almighty God. I pray for people who have been given a promise from you and they just, they, it's not that they can believe the promise, but, but they need to reaffirm their belief that you are God Almighty. Lord, you'll never violate our will. Lord, Abraham had to participate in the promise by believing and waiting. Jacob had to turn his life through a wrestling match with you. And Moses needed 40 years of insignificance in order to be ready for that. I don't know where people are at in their life, but Lord, I, I know that today's the day. Today's the day that you turn our lives back to significance. You turn our lives back to trust in you. In Jesus' name. Here's my call for you. If you're here today and you're, you fit any of those descriptions, as the worship team plays, you find a place, whether it's in your seat or up here, and say, God, I want to trust the Almighty again. I want the wonder of Jesus back in my life. I want to believe you for the impossible. And I'm telling you, he's going to meet with you. He's going to meet with you. Let's do that.
Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we lift our hands to Lord God Almighty. Lord, it, the impossible is never possible with us. But you say, is nothing too difficult for the Lord? Is there anything too difficult for you? What's impossible with man is possible with God. I pray that you would restore the wonder of Jesus in our life, that we would begin to realize and remember a God that is greater than the things that cast their shadow over our lives. Lord, whether it's our own sin, whether it's an external enemy, whether it's a, a setback financially or relationally, it really doesn't matter that you are the God that can say to things, Lord God, that to be moved like mountains. You say if we have the faith the size of a mustard seed that we could say to a mountain, be removed, and it's moved. Lord, and we do this all in accordance with your will. Lord, those things in our life that are not going anywhere, they are designed for us to remain faithful to you and for us to persevere in the face of them. You could pull everything away and make life easy, but Lord, you use challenges to shape character. And so we say to you today, God, whether you change the circumstances we're believing or not, we say to you that you are our Lord and we will love you and we will serve you and we will bow to you and we will believe you. And Father, that we will be what we need to be, holy before the Lord. Just as Abraham, Lord, received from you, walk before me and be blameless. God, that's our desire. And we continue to come before your grace with every stumble and stagger along the way. Thank you for what you've done here today. Thank you for what you're going to do in our lives this week. We give you glory, honor, and praise. And it's in Christ's name that we pray this. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to all of our messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify, and go to lowellag.org or ne-cc.org to keep up with all of our news, updates, and events. Thank you, and God bless.